Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Galatians. The New Testament book of Galatians in Galatians chapter number 4. Galatians and chapter number 4. We are thankful that you are here today as we take some time at this time of year to celebrate Christmas and remember of Christ being born. And so with that, we want to take some time to look in the Word of God ourselves and understand that we have a great God, an amazing God, a God who knows what He's doing, a God who sends the end from the, sees the end from the beginning, a God who's able to lay everything in place. And as we take some time to look at the birth of Jesus Christ and to see everything that God placed into it and the timing of everything and the prophecies being fulfilled and the placement of it, I want you to be encouraged that there's a God who watches over you. And he places things in your life and his timing is perfect. There may be some times that you and I may run ahead. There may be some times that we are impatiently waiting for God. God is never late. He is always on time. And he knows what he is doing. And so if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the word of God. And look with me if you don't mind in the book of Galatians chapter number 4. The book of Galatians chapter number 4 And notice with me, starting at verse number 4. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. The Bible says this. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his sons into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And if you have the marking things in your Bible, would you mark a very important phrase in the book of Galatians chapter number four? The book of Galatians chapter number four, and notice with me the phrase in verse number four, the fullness of time was come. When the fullness of of time was come. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to preach this message from the book of Galatians using history as a backdrop here. When the fullness of time was come. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. A God who's worthy to be worshipped and worthy to be served. And as we come up to you today, I'm asking that you would just give us wisdom. Help us to understand and be thrilled with seeing your perfection, how you know what you're doing. Help us to be in awe of you and your your holiness, your majesty, your omnipotence, your omnipresence, your power, your glory, and your honor. Lord, I can't think of another event inside of the word of God that shows that you're a God who places things and that your timing is perfect. I'm asking that as we open this up and that you would just give me wisdom and discernment. Help me to be able to communicate the truth of your word in a clear way to be of an understanding. 
Lord, because I know that this is so important, this is so amazing, I know that if I do it myself, I'll fail, I'll fall short. And I have no desire to do that to your folks today. So the best I know how, I surrender myself to you and ask that you fill me with your precious spirit for the purpose of getting your own work accomplished. And I also pray for these dear folks here that they have just as much of a responsibility to be spirit-filled hearers as I do being a spirit-filled speaker. So I'm asking that you would help them now at this time to set everything aside, maybe their Christmas plans, maybe the fellowship that they're looking forward to afterwards. And for this time that they would set everything aside and they would put your, their attention upon you for the purpose that you can show yourself wonderful. That you can show yourself glorious. That they can learn more of you and grow closer to you because of your precious word. Again, thank you for this day of being here. And we thank you in advance for what you're going to be doing in our hearts and our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love history. I love history. I love studying the Word of God. And the reason why I love history is because of how God uses history. Sometimes people who in the history business teach that history goes in cycles and then it just repeats itself over and over and over. Nothing could be further from the truth. What history is, is a, two, is a series of two climaxes two peaks, that everything in world history from the beginning of the world is all leading to one event, and that is the birth of Jesus Christ. And then afterwards, all of history is now forming and putting together for one last event, and that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. All of history is gunning for, aiming for, preparing for each of these two events. We call them the Advents, Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. And there is no more obvious thing than this passage here when it says, when the fullness of time has come. When all of history has been fulfilled. When all of history that God has placed in order is in place at the right time, at the right place, that is is when Jesus Christ came. And so if you don't mind, I'd like to take this passage here and show you in the light of history this principle here that God gives in Galatians chapter 4, when the fullness of time has come. The very first thing I'd like to show you in this passage here is again the repeat of the title, when the fullness of time has come. And with it, we understand we have the light of fulfilled history. When the fullness of time was come, the fulfilled history. Now, before Jesus Christ came, God had set up history. He arranged it and had the perfect time. In fact, history was uh, laid out, and there are three specific cultures, three specific parts of history that was laid to build a foundation for the coming of Jesus Christ. The very first thing that we understand in this idea of fulfilled history is the Greek language. Now, if you remember in Daniel chapter number 2 that God had showed Daniel <coughs> a preview of world events. That the time of 
Daniel, we had the Babylonian Empire that was ruling, led by Nebuchadnezzar. That was immediately followed by the Persian Empire, which we see at the end of the Old Testament chronology, where Cyrus the Great had defeated Babylon in 536 BC and that he sent a decree to allow the Hebrew people to go back and rebuild Jerusalem and to establish that land once again. Well the Persians had ruled for a while after that and then came the Greek ruler, the Greek conqueror Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great had grown up in Macedonia and Greek and he was taught by one of the greatest teachers of all of history uh, that would be Aristotle. And during his teachings, he was convinced that the Greek culture, the Greek language, the Greek everything was the best. And so as he set off to conquer the world, and which he did, everywhere he went, he established brand new cities. Everywhere he went, he forced everyone to have the one language, the Greek language. Everywhere he went, he spread the Greek culture. And so as an aftermath, after Alexander the Great conquered the world and his empire spread all the way from Europe and went all the way to India, went from the Black Sea all the way down to Egypt, Alexander the Great had a vast empire. And throughout that vast empire, everyone was able to speak and understand the Greek language. No time in history had this ever been accomplished before. That the Babylonians were content to allow people to speak their own different language. The Assyrians before them were allowed to do that. The Persians set that up where people could speak their own language and they had the liberty. But Alexander the Great had conquered the world and brought everyone a common language. And it was so that the foundation was laid that when Jesus Christ came on this earth, that you could go anywhere in the known world. And people would be able to understand Greek. They may have their local languages. But everyone was able to understand and process Greek. Now this is going to be a benefit because we're going to have something called the New Testament. And as the New Testament is spread throughout the new world or throughout the known world. Everyone was able to read and understand Greek. And it allowed the spreading of the New Testament to go more in a more complete way and a faster way because you didn't have to stop and translate languages. You were able to give the, the Greek New Testament and pass it around and everyone was able to read it and understand it. Well, that was part of what God had done, did, allowing Alexander the Great to conquer the world. God knew what he was doing, allowing this man never to lose a battle, to conquer the world, to spread it out there because he was allowing the whole world to have one language. Where they can understand the scriptures. But that wasn't the only thing that he laid in place. The second thing that he laid in place and deals with the history. Was the idea of the Roman roads and the Roman peace. The Roman roads and the Roman peace. Well after Alexander the Great died. He, his four generals were in charge of the Greek empire. And so it was split up into four different regions. As those regions began to fight with each other, you would have the Seleucids and the Ptolemies that would be fighting over what we would call the Holy Land. You would have the different parts uh, all over. They would get in competition with each other. And it allowed the Romans to find their place in history. And then finally in 250 AD, the Romans began to insert themselves inside of world history 
and they began to conquer the world. Now, because the Romans were very efficient people, they were uh, people that wanted to have the best efficiency, one of the things they built was Roman roads. Now, because they wanted messengers to get from one place of the Roman Empire to the other as quickly as possible, the Romans did something unique with roads. They made sure that there was no bends, there was no valleys. If they came to a place where the, there was a valley, they would fill in the valley, so that way the road would be straight. You didn't lose time trying to climb up a hill. If you, uh, there was a mountain in the way, they would knock the mountain over, so that way the road could be as straight as possible. I don't know if you've been in a place like Tennessee where there's lots of valleys and lots of hills where the road would stop and then pick back up after the hill or maybe curve around and do all kinds of crazy things and the roads wouldn't be straight at all. For the Romans, they wanted to have as straight roads as possible to allow one messenger to get to one side to the other. And they engineered those roads. Even today, if you go to Europe, you could find some of those Roman roads still in effect, which is better than Wisconsin, Wisconsin roads, which last about six months and then they have to repair it again. But they would have these amazing roads to allow people to travel. In addition, the Romans wanted to have every citizen to feel safe. And so up and down those Roman roads, they would have different patrols. And the Romans bragged that they had brought an era of world peace, which they would call the Pax Romana, which means Roman peace. And they bragged that you could travel anywhere inside of the Roman Empire in relative safety. That the Roman guards would patrol the roads to make sure there was no bandits, there was no one to intercept. So a Roman citizen could walk anywhere throughout the empire on these roads in relative safety. This, again, would allow the travel of the gospel. Not only could everyone in every place in the known world be able to understand the gospel, but now the messengers of the gospel can travel all throughout the empire quickly and efficiently because of the roads and because of the safety that the Roman Empire provided. Isn't God a smart God? To be able to travel as quickly as possible to allow the gospel to spread? But there was another ingredient that God had placed, and that was the Hebrew Scriptures. After the uh, Hebrew people were scattered, first of all, by the Assyrians in 722 B.C., and then by the Babylonians in 586 B.C., the, ba the uh, <coughs> Hebrew people were scattered into little enclaves all throughout the Assyrian Empire and then the Babylonian Empire. When the Persians came, they allowed the Hebrew people to go back home, but most of the Hebrew people refused to go. Even today, there are more Hebrew people in New York City than the entire country of Israel. But they were scattered all over the place. They scattered in Egypt. They scattered in Europe. They scattered throughout the Orient. They scattered everywhere. Now, because they no longer had the temple as a central location, the temple was destroyed. What happened <coughs> is that a new um, religious center called a synagogue was developed. And a synagogue was only to house 10 Hebrew families. If you had more than that, another synagogue would have to be set up. And it was made to minister to those people locally. So you didn't have to go travel and find a synagogue, uh, you know, miles and miles away. You would have a synagogue close by. Now, another practice of the synagogue is they wanted and demanded that every Hebrew family 
had a copy of the scriptures for themselves. And so what they would do is that if a new family came in, they already had a copy of the scriptures available for them and they would hand it to them. Now, what happened, because the Hebrew people are now scattered throughout the world, and that for every 10 Hebrew families they had, they had to have a synagogue, and the synagogue had provided the scriptures, already had handwritten copies available for everyone who came in. Guess what happened? The Hebrew scriptures were available all throughout the world. You just had to go through your local synagogue. So if you were in Alexandria, Egypt, and you got saved, and you wanted to know more about God... You could go to a local synagogue and get a scriptures. You didn't have to Amazon it. You didn't have to go to Jerusalem. You didn't have to make a special trip. You just had to go to your local synagogue. And they would provide one for you. So think about this. God had provided all of this in history. The Hebrew people had no clue that God had allowed them to scatter for the purpose of allowing the scriptures to scatter. They just thought, oh, poor pitiful us. We just can't do anything right. Alexander the Great didn't care anything about things of God until someone, the high priest met him outside of Jerusalem and took the scriptures and said, hey, by the way, you're in our scriptures. Alexander the Great read this and said, okay, well, consider yourself conquered. See you later. And he was always friendly to the Hebrew people. But other than that, he didn't care. He thought he was his own God. He thought he was the son of Zeus. He didn't care about the Hebrew people. But yet God used him. You had the Romans. The Romans definitely didn't care about the troublesome little thing of, of Judea. They were always causing problems. The rest of the Roman Empire didn't care about them at all. But God had allowed the Roman Empire to spread and to scatter. And all of it was set up for that one point in history. For Jesus Christ to be born. And then Jesus Christ's message of salvation to be spread as quickly as possible. And as efficiently as possible. When the fullness of time was come. Not only do we see this in the light of history. But notice the next phrase in verse number 4. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come. Notice this. God sent forth his son. God sent forth his son. That not only do we have the fullness of time come. In the fullness of history. But we also understand that we have things fulfilled in geography. You know geography is quite important. The place where God had set up the promised land for the Hebrew people. The place where Jesus Christ had lived his life from time he was a baby. To the time that he was a carpenter. To the time he had a public ministry. Was located in a place in between three continents. You had Europe. You had Asia and you had Africa. And this was the main road. If you wanted to get to Europe and wanted to get to Egypt, you would have to pass through this holy land. If you wanted to go from Africa and go to the Orient, go to Asia, you would pass through this holy land. And so here was the central hub that three continents touched. It was the central hub that even in the, the area of Capernaum, it was said that any time in Jesus' day at Capernaum, you had 40 to 70 different people groups that were there at any time. And so imagine this. Travelers would come and they would hear the story of Jesus and they would take the story of Jesus and they would carry it no matter where they went. They would get saved themselves and they would go home and tell their family members about it. 
You might even remember in Acts chapter 8 where you had the Ethiopian eunuch who was the treasurer of Queen Candace. His job was to keep the finances. And he went. He was curious about things. So on his vacation, he stopped by Jerusalem and he grabbed a copy of the scripture. He wanted to understand what was going on. And so he was a Gentile went to the temple or a synagogue, got his own copy of the Old Testament scriptures, and he's reading it on the way back. God sent an evangelist, a deacon by the name of Philip. Philip runs beside him and says, Sir, do you understand what you read? He says, How can I unless someone teach me? And so Philip came up and showed him Jesus Christ. He got saved, got baptized, and history tells us that he went back to Ethiopia and a thriving church by the way that still has remnants today was started because of the Ethiopian eunuch again so many people would travel through they would have to travel through and as they traveled through they had no choice but to hear the story of Jesus Christ and God had set it up so it wasn't an isolated place off the main road it was a place where people who traveled, they traveled through this land here. So God had arranged in the fullness of time. He had set up history. He had put it in the perfect location and fulfilled geography. But that's not all. Notice this if you don't mind in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. Notice this. Made of a woman. Made under the law. Made under the woman. What we see here is fulfilled prophecy. Not only did God at the fullness of time come. Not only during the perfect time that God had set up history. God had set up the perfect geography. But he also fulfilled all of these prophecies. Here when it's referring to in Galatians chapter 4. It's referring to a promise that God made all the way back in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, which those who study scripture gave it a funny name. They called it the Proto-Evangelium. It's a big fancy name for the first promise of salvation. You might remember the story dealing with the fall of man. When the first woman ate the first man out of house and home. Well, after this time, <clears throat> God had lined up Adam and Eve and Satan and each one of them blamed the other one. Adam said, it's the woman's fault. It's your fault for giving her to me. Eve said, no, it's, it's uh, Satan's fault. He's the one that beguiled me. God goes up to Satan. And he gives a promise here. It says, listen, there's always going to be enmity between your seed and the woman's seed. But let me tell you, there's going to be someone that comes from the woman. You may bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And this is a promise made of a woman that's referred to in the book of Galatians chapter 4. Which is the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. He was the one promised. You understand that the Old Testament scriptures give all kinds of promise. Dealing with Jesus' birth. It talks of, There's over 300 prophecies dealing with Jesus' life. But there's a whole bunch dealing with Jesus' birth. The Bible speaks about that he was going to be born of a woman. It said that Jesus was going to be born from the house of Abraham. It said that he was going to be born of the house of Isaac. He was going to be born of the house of Jacob. He was going to be born out of the house of Judah. He was going to be born out of the house of David. 
The Bible says where he was going to be born out. In the book of Micah chapter 5, it says that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Which, by the way, is a big deal because Bethlehem is a backwater town. Nobody went to Bethlehem. It was one of those places where you have a sign that says, thanks for coming, see you again. And you has a one horse town and the horse is dying. It's a small little place. And yet God said, out of the thousands of little villages, that's where he's going to be born. And guess what? Jesus was born there. The Bible speaks about when he was born. If you took uh, Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 9, that clearly you could say when it was born. How do you know that it was, when it was, uh, that it was predicted when it was born? Because when the wise men came, the wise men were puzzled. The Messiah's come. It's the time we see the star. How come all of Jerusalem isn't celebrating? And they scratched their old heads and said, This is your king, not our king. We're coming to honor him. Why aren't you celebrating? And it was baffling to them. How come they weren't waiting for their own king? But they could have known because it said when he was coming. The Bible talks about so many things. It talks about the prophecy that he was going to be born of the kingly line. And Joseph's line, remember Joseph was his stepfather. That if Joseph, if they had a king in Israel at Joseph's time, Joseph should have and would have been the king. However, because of one of his ancestors uh, making a mistake and making God so angry that God says, cursed be anybody who's of the bloodline of this king and is uh, <laughs> and on the throne, cursed be anyone that's there. So he could not be blood related, but he needed to inherit the throne. And so we have in the gospel record of Matthew, the, the um, Matthew chapter one, we have the lineage of the kingly line, which Jesus inherited by his stepfather, Joseph, but then in the gospel record of Luke, we have the tracing of the bloodline through Mary. That Jesus was blood related to David, as the prophecy said. But he still inherited the kingly line through a stepfather. That's fulfilled prophecy. You understand, when you start talking about this, this is fantastic. People who do odds and smarter than I who do statistics, they said that one thing being fulfilled, it's not that big deal. You could do it by accident. But just eight prophecies, just eight prophecies being fulfilled from a year's past is the same odds as one in 10 to the 157th power. What does that mean? That means it's the odds are one to 10 with 150 zeros behind it for just eight prophecies to be fulfilled. You understand only God could have done that. Only God could have put that in there. He fulfilled tons of prophecies just with the birth of Jesus Christ. And so what we have here, when the fullness of time was come, that God had set up history to be at the peak where it was all prepared for Jesus to come. We see that God had prepared the land even thousands of years when he told Abraham, I'm giving you this land. God already knew that this was going to be an important place of real estate in Jesus' day and had everything set up. So when the fullness of time was come, the fulfillment of history, the fullness of time was come, the fulfillment of geography, the fullness of time was come, the fulfillment of prophecies. And these prophecies were fulfilled. What an amazing thing that God had set up. But notice, what is the purpose of this? Why did God work so hard to fulfill history 
prophecy, geography. Why did he line everything up to be perfect? Why was this such an important event? Notice as it goes on in the book of Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4, and for context, hit verse 4 with me again. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Why was this so important? Because Jesus was born for one purpose. He was born to die. That God had set it up at the perfect time of history. In the perfect place. To fulfill all of these prophecies. Because Jesus who was God. Robed himself in flesh. And dwelt among us. That Jesus knew from the very beginning. He was born to die. Could you imagine as a seven year old. Knowing that you were born to die. As a 14 year old. Knowing you were born to die. When you were 20 years old. Knowing that you were born to die. When you are 29. You know you're born to die. Jesus knew everything was going to that one place. And that was the place of the cross. Jesus knew. And he gladly. The Bible talks about in the book of Hebrews chapter 2. With joy. Went to the cross. He was born to die. Why? To redeem man. That word redeem means to buy back. Jesus purchased us with his blood. He came to the perfect place in history. To the perfect place. Fulfilling all of these prophecies. For the purpose of dying for your sins and for mine. To give us forgiveness of sins. Full, free, and forever. And he did it for free. He did it for the purpose of cleansing our sins, washing it away, wiping it clean. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. He paid the price. And all I have to do is receive that free gift of salvation that Jesus offered us. Why would Jesus die for us? That's a great question. Notice you, you could see here God's heart. Why did God set up all of history? Why did God put this in the perfect place? Why was it such a big deal for Jesus to die for us? What was God's purpose? You ever think about that? What's in it for God? Why would he send Jesus to die for us? Well, we know the Bible gives a simple solution in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That he did it because he loved us. But why, does, why is that a big deal? For example, Christmas is a good time where we have family reunions. You know, we have family that we love, but we don't like. You have family that you, that you love, but you don't want to live with them. It's good to see them every now and again, but you don't want to go on vacation with them. You understand that. There, there's a difference. So God loves you and you say, well, he has to love you. But do you know that God even likes you? How much does he like you? Notice what it says in the book of Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You know what God wants? God wants to have a special and unique personal relationship with you. 
That's always been his purpose. God doesn't want to be an impersonal God. He doesn't want to be some mysterious thing up in the sky that you can never see. God wants to have a personal relationship with you. He wants to have a unique relationship with you. He wants you to be a son. And so the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're adopted in the family. And let me tell you some good news. You'll never be disowned. You'll never be divorced. You'll never be discarded. God wants to have you close. He wants to spend time with you. God just doesn't love you. He likes you. You may feel that no one else likes you, but let me tell you, God likes you. And God wants to spend time with you. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. He wants to have communion with you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to hang out with you. No one else may want to hang out with you. But God does. He wants to have that special relationship with you. That's the whole purpose of God setting up all of history. Was for you. God set all of this up. God put this in the perfect time and the perfect place. Just because he wants to spend time with you. Now, the question you have to ask. You know what God wants. God wants to spend time with you. The question you have to ask yourself is, do you want to spend time with him? He loves you so much. He wants to spend time with you. You know, Christmas time is a time of fellowshipping. It's a time of catching up. What a horrible thing to go back and say, all right, I'm going to go visit my parents. I haven't seen them in a while. And then when you get there, say, ah, I'm going to go do this. And I'm going to go do this. And I'm going to do this. And never spend time with the parents. Wouldn't that be horrible? To have someone you haven't spent time with in a while. And you say, I'm coming to your house for the purpose of spending time with you. But you're never there. God wants to spend time with you. And he's arranged this and he's proven his love towards you. Because he wants to spend time with you. You say, well, how do I spend time with him? That's a great question. I'm so glad you asked. You know, the greatest way we could spend time with him is spend time with him in his word. That is God's love letters to us. That is God speaking to us. Now, some of you aren't married yet, but let me tell you how things used to work before we had texting and whatnot. We wrote letters. We hand wrote letters. Didn't even email. You hand wrote letters. Let me tell you, when I got a letter from my future wife at that time, when I received that letter, I didn't say, you know what? This is going to be something special. I think I'm going to hold on to it for a while. And I'm going to wait until I feel ready to read it. You know what? Uh, I, I just, may, maybe in just a couple months, I'll, I'll be ready to read this letter. I, I got to make sure things are right. And I, I don't want to be in trouble. I don't want to, you know, I'm going to wait. My wife may call and say, hey, did you read the letter? No, 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 no. I'm waiting for the perfect time. I'm, I'm waiting till I feel like it. You know, I, I just didn't really feel like reading your letter today. You think that's what she wanted to hear? Absolutely not. And you know what? When I got that letter, is that what I felt like? Absolutely not. I wanted to read it. I wanted to see what this thing said. I wanted to see what great things she said about me. 
this time around. I wanted to see what she was feeling. I wanted to know what was on her heart. And so I would take that letter and I would read both pages and then the next page and the next page and then look for a signature and then we'd have little Bible verses and at the end of it we would look, oh, what Bible verse you had? Then I couldn't wait to look and see what Bible verse you had. That's what we did back before texting. You know, We, we took time to write those letters. And it was great. And I couldn't wait to, to read it. I couldn't wait to see what it said. I didn't put it up on the shelf. And when I was done, you know what I did again? I didn't just say, well, I read it through once and that's good and put it aside. I read it again. Why? Because that was a way of spending time with her. We lived two and a half hours apart. I couldn't just go knock on her door and say, how are you doing? So those letters were allowed me to communicate with her, to fellowship with her. Even if she wasn't there, I can take that letter. But every now and again, we did have a device in our day called a phone. We still had that. And what I could do is I could pick up the phone and I could call her. And I could talk to her. And I could tell her about what I'm going through. And what I'm feeling. You know, we also have that same vehicle called prayer. That any time you could talk to God. And the good thing about God is that he's never too busy for you. He'll never say, you know what, leave a message. Hey, you know what, I got to get something done. Just leave a message. Text me later. I'll get a hold of you. God wants to spend time with you so much, he clears everything off. Sets you down and says, eyeball to eyeball and says, I want to hear about your day. Now we understand there are some people that we talk to that um, we could walk away from the phone and they're still talking. Come back later and say, yeah, yeah, and pick it back up. And they didn't even know you're gone. We know that there's some people that we talk on the phone or maybe someone you talk to the phone with that you're playing solitaire, doing everything else, going, uh-huh, uh-huh. And you know, they don't have your undivided attention. But when you talk to God, you have his undivided attention. When, he talks, when you talk to him, it's as if you are the most important person in the world to him. You have that much attention from him. He wants to, it is important to him to hear from you. That's the type of relationship that God wants to have with us. The adoption of a son. The Bible says, Abba, Father. That carries the idea of Daddy, Daddy. That we have that type of relationship that we're adopted. And with God, we could go, Daddy, Daddy, I need this. Daddy, Daddy, I'm hurting. Daddy, Daddy, I need a hug. Kids are so great. And we could do that same thing to God. Daddy, Daddy. I need you today. And God doesn't say, I'm too busy. I'm working in the office. I'll get back to you later. He says, come, I want to hear from you. What's going on? That's the type of relationship that God has. And so I want you to think about that God set up all of history. He set up the geography. He set up all of prophecy for Christ to be here and for the message to be spread for the purpose because God just doesn't love you. He likes you and he wants to spend time with you. He wants to have a special relationship with you. Now, if God is willing to do that for all of history, God is also willing to do that for your own life. You know, there's things that God sets up in your life that you say, I don't know what's going on, but that's because you don't see the big picture. God is able to see all of history at once and knows how to arrange it. We call this principle in the Bible, the treasures in darkness. That sometimes the worst things that ever happened to us could turn to be the greatest things that ever happened to us because it draws us closer to Christ. Maybe there was an event. Maybe you weren't going to church for a while. 
But God puts something in your life where you say, I'm going to go to church. Maybe you haven't been reading your Bible and God puts an event in your life and you say, well, I'm going to start reading my Bible. Maybe perhaps there's an event that happens in your life and you haven't been praying. And after that event, you start talking to God and say, God, I need you now. God knows what he's doing. And God wants to spend time with you that much that he's able to arrange things to be, for you to be at the perfect place at the perfect time for him to do something in your life. Isn't that a wonderful God? He's interested in your life and he wants to be with you. And so as we say all of this, there are some things that need to be addressed right away. First of all, has there been a time in your life where you received that gift that Jesus offered you? That gift of eternal life. You see, God wants to have a personal relationship with you. He's not asking, do you, did you show up to church one day? Or your parents are Christian? Do you own a Bible? He says, do you know me? Has there ever been a time in your life where you realized that you were a sinner? And because of your sin, you offended a holy, righteous God. And that you deserve to be separated from him in an awful place called hell forever. But you realize that he loved you so much that he sent Jesus. And you willfully, gladly accepted that gift that God gave you. After that, what are you doing with that relationship? That relationship secured, but now God wants to have a fellowship with you. He wants to spend time with you. Are you too busy for God? God, I know you love me and you've done all these things for me, but I'll talk to you later. I'm too busy to read my Bible. I'm too busy to spend time with you now. I don't want to talk to you. What type of relationship do you have with God? Are you glad to spend time with God? Is it something you look forward to? Or is Bible reading a drudgery and say, ah, I just got to check this off the list today. I don't want to go to church. I don't like to spend time with God. What type of relationship do you have with him? He's just holding out and says, I just want to be with you. I want to spend time with you. What's our reaction to him? I don't want to touch you. I don't want to spend time with you. I want to do my own thing. I'll talk to you when I'm good and ready. What type of fellowship do you have with God? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.